Hey there, leader. Today, today is January 9th, 2021. Happy New Year, by the way. And today we're going to be talking about fear. Fear in yourself. In your teams. And how to manage those fears. Normally we start with this day in history, but we're going to skip our little tradition there this week. Um, because we are have a little bit of a special guest. It's our first guest. Yes, right. We recorded the session with an individual, a man named Gary Nessner. Gary um, has is a thirty year veteran of the FBI, uh, where he was an investigator and a negotiator. He specialized for the FBI in hostage negotiation. Mm. He was the first chief of the crisis negotiation unit that was created in the FBI. Uh, and he was heavily involved in many notable hostage and other crisis negotiations. The most notable of those is the Branch Davidians crisis in Waco, Texas. Waco. Um, Gary has written a book. It is called Stalling, Stalling for Time, My Life as an FBI Hostage Negotiator. Go buy it. Yeah, exactly. Available on Amazon. Um, also, there was a docudrama that is still on Netflix. I believe it's called Waco mm-hmm. uh, that is still out there and, and very interesting watch if you want to uh, get some more of Gary's perspective. Very, very lucky to have him here today. Yes. So, Randy, take us through. Let's, let's frame the picture. What is fear? Well, fear is an emotion. Um, and it's induced by a perceived danger or threat. And, and perceived is the key word because that danger or threat may not be real, but uh, real or perceived, fear causes a lot of psychological and ultimately behavioral changes in us, such as fleeing, hiding, freezing, and the lot. Well, and I, I think it's important to notice there that fear is also a physiological response. Oh, yes. Right, so yes. you have a fear physiological response and then the follow-on emotions that accompany it. You feel fear and, and you feel that uh, it, you know, physically in your body, yes. Let's talk about that physiological stuff a little bit. Well, you, you feel fear, you know, and a lot of the stuff in my counseling that I've, I've had to do, not to others, but done to me, um, but fear feeling where that is in your body, knowing your physical reaction to fear. You know, you get a heightened uh, heightened uh, heart rate. Right. You, you can feel it like in your kidneys. You can kind of feel it go down your back. Your chest tightening. Yeah, yeah you can, you've got all these actions. And a lot of it, too, is the first part about fear is recognizing it because a lot of people don't recognize it. That comes upon them and they flood and they lose their senses or whatever. But recognizing it, knowing what it looks like in you, feeling what it feels like in you, now you can do something about it. And, and a lot of people will associate fear with, you know, I was so scared because we almost got in a car wreck mm. or almost got hit by a car or something like that. Fear, it can be major fear and it oh, yeah. can be minor fear. That response is still controlling your actions or has influence over your actions. I, I remember once talking with a friend of mine, talking about the physiological reaction of fear. Mm-hmm. You know, the fear stimulus occurs, you have your mm-hmm. physiological reaction, whether it's dumping of adrenaline, shortness of breath, freezing. What you do with the emotions after that is actually up to you. And I think that's a big part of what we're going to talk about here today. Yeah, fear is one of the most powerful forces in our lives. It affects the decisions we make, the actions we take, the outcomes we get. What's well, our evolutionary guardian. Yeah, yeah. I, you know what, what that looks like a you know a mastodon. What should I do? <laughs> run, Thack, run! That's right. right. Well, and the primary f- purpose of fear is to protect you, right? Get out of this situation. Don't be in this situation. So it's a natural human reaction, you know, that we don't want to do something that we're fearful of. I, 
I've got things that, as you talk about both major fears and minor fears, I have a horrendous fear of crabs. No, like, really? Yeah, like crabs. Yeah, exactly, exactly <laughs> right? There have been scenes in movies that have unnerved me because, <laughs> I, you know, um, there's one in Land of the Lost, right, where that giant crab cause comes right. when they're drugged out on that weird bean. So SpongeBob, Mr. Krabs just freaked yeah, you yeah, out. Yeah, it did, it did. <laughs> I'm fine with eating them. But, like, if it's moving around on the ground, like, my first thought is... Is that your way to assert dominance over your fear? (laughs) No. That's just irrational, small fears, right? And and then you can get into bigger fears. But that's... What about you? What's a a weird thing you're afraid of? Um, I had... I'm going to say I had a fear. Uh, And it's still there a little bit. But back in the mid-90s, I became deathly afraid of flying. Oh. Terrified of it. I mean, to the point where I would shake in my seat... Interesting. Um, okay. And I wanted nothing to do with it. Like, if we were going to fly somewhere, I would try and find a way not to go. Did they have to do, like, Mr. T, and they had to drug you, you know, <laughs> shoot you with a trank gun? I'm the fool. <laughs> you know, and it, and honestly, what it took was, uh, and I'm not saying I conquered it, because I, I still have a little bit of it. Yeah, you've flown a lot. I have flown a lot. I've learned, and we're going to talk about this, too, I learned to trust Flight. Oh, I went and read just about every book I could. There we go. I began to understand it. That doesn't mean that I'm going to jump in an airplane and go flying with my friend. We'll call him Kevin, who yeah. I believe to be a terrible pilot and almost <laughs> killed me on a landing once. Um, but, you know, I now have created a, an amount of trust with flight, especially domestically here in the United States. Well, uh, I appreciate you sharing that. I, I, You know, one of the things about our fear is um, we have to know them. Because once we know them and once we name them, now we can leverage them. And and that leveraging um, comes in a, a lot of different forms, uh, just as fear comes in a lot of different for, uh, forms, from fear of spiders or sp- fears of dogs or fears of flying yeah. or rational fears of crabs. Crabs. Yeah. Okay. You, you, you said earlier, and I thought it was good when we were talking before we started recording, you had a good Star Wars analogy that I liked a lot about fear. Yeah, not to get too geeky, but, you know, you can't become... Is there too geeky? <laughs> well, with Star Wars, there is. Um, but when you when you look at Star Wars as people were selected or not selected to become a Jedi, what was the common response when they were denied? <clears throat> Other than not having enough midichlorians. Well, I already know the answer, but it's, there is much fear. That, that's right, there's much fear. And, and where did that fear originate? It, it originates in the care or love for someone or something. So we get fearful in our relationships because someone we care about might be threatened or taken away from us, and that's a primary reason why, you know, um, uh, Hannikin wasn't s- selected, you know, for originally because of fear for his mother, right? You know, and there was uh, concern over Luke and his father, right? Well, so. and, and it's interesting. We we talked about this a little bit. That fear, and this happens a lot in our professional world, whether it's ourselves doing it or we'll see other leaders doing it. When that fear strikes them. They don't run or or flight. They will seek to control that environment. Mm-hmm. So you'll see you'll see a boss who becomes overly fields. You got to get down here and get that done right. I don't want to hear any more whatever. Mm-hmm. There's some sort of fear that's driving him. It could be yes. the boss afraid to lose his job, lose credibility, whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. Control uh, is paralyzing, and it also is paralyzing for the people that work for you if you're. Uh, fearful like that because you want to control every aspect of what they do every day there's no freedom there's no development and and people become stagnant and neutral and you constantly have to tell them what to do yeah well and and we talked about this a little bit the trust factor 
that move to control says directly, mm -hmm. I don't trust you. Yeah. Therefore, I'm going to control everything you do. And as leaders, we have to create an environment where the environment is conducive to um, creating a culture of trust. And Gary had a lot to say about that. And here's a quick excerpt what Gary said. You mentioned earlier, and, I, and I'd love, you know, your experience is, is so unique. Um, and as I've, you know, found out by reading your book, but your, your experience is unique. Is there anything, any of your experiences that you think sort of resonate with this, how you create that sort of culture and rise and fold together? That, that sticks yeah, there's a couple mind? points. You know, in the uh, 1993 Waco incident, tragically as it ended, uh, the negotiation team was actually a pretty well-oiled and functioning uh, entity. And we got 35 people out, including 21 children. And, you know, the rest of the story gets more complicated. But one of the things I, I tried to do as the team leader was to create that atmosphere that encouraged inputs. Because we were all dealing with a situation that had never come up before. There's no, you know, long history of how to deal with uh, religious cult leaders in a highly tense situation. And, and I always remember, um, in addition to very senior gray-haired negotiators on my team, we had a few younger negotiators who were there because they were geographically assigned to Texas. Um, so they would play supportive parts on the team, maintaining the situation boards, you know, uh, running various tasks. And on one of these uh, discussions in terms of what we might do next to try to uh, enhance the relationship with the Branch Davidians, this young negotiator in our discussions kind of timidly spoke up and came up with what ended up being an incredible idea. Uh, and it was so brilliant. The, the moment I heard it, I, I joked with my team and I said, I was just going to say that, you know, of course everybody laughed and knew I was being self-deprecating, but it's always uh, reminded me that that story has that, you know, if you can make this young person, uh, this new negotiator recently trained, no actual experience, feel comfortable enough amongst a bunch of grizzly old, you know, people with, you know, dozens and dozens of years of negotiation experience, feel comfortable enough to share an idea. Well, heck, that might just be a really crackerjack idea that you want to think about. And, um, you know, I, in a backhanded sort of compliment to myself, I'm glad I helped create that atmosphere that gave us that really good idea. And, and it, it led to a pretty a, a meaningful um, release of the first adult we got out of there. So, um, you know, it was a, it was a pretty, pretty neat thing to see and do. And, and by the way, that, that Cracker Jack idea was. I love Cracker Jack. There's a prize <laughs> just, in every box. Every box. Oh, I used to love those little tattoos. Um, but the, the Cracker Jack idea was to videotape the children, the Branch Davidian children that were not in the compound mm. and provide the videotape back to uh, the Branch Davidians so they could see their children being well cared for and were happy and safe. Uh, which eventually, as he said, led to the release of the first adult hostage or first adult person. And we had a whole, there's 30 minutes of, of audio with Gary. We can't use it all here, um, but what we will do is we'll post the whole audio yeah. link uh, as a second uh, posting here um, so that you guys can listen to the whole thing in its entirety. Gary's also, just in the short time, you know, you, you, you get to talk to him, not to mention, you know, his book and the very cool portrayal of him on Netflix in, in Waco, mainly because the, the guy who portrays him was actually Superman's nemesis. Oh, yeah. And one of the, one of the Neil Pavor Zod. Zod. Yeah, <laughs> Zod. No, but Gary is uh, uh, just, 
you could tell was an exceptional leader in the fact of the, the culture that he created and the environment that was conducive to ideas and being able to share things, which was a safe environment. Yeah. And, and talk about the stakes of fear. I'm sorry, the, the stakes that create a, uh, that could have created a environment of nothing but paralyzing fear. Mm-hmm. And he was able to create this environment of trust, of one where, you know, I call it the Sharknado. I come up with a dumb idea and let's see what happens. And apparently you make millions of dollars. This kid came up with a great idea, kid. This agent came up with a great idea. And it worked out. Yeah, and you same. create that environment, even though you should be paralyzed with the fear of failure. Yeah. Which, by the way, fear of failure... Among any other types of fear, you know, you talk about somebody with Gary's experience or people with wartime experience, things like that, and you think it's a different kind of fear. Fear is in all of us, and and the predominant fear most of us who are listening to this podcast are going to experience is fear of failure. You know, and Gary had a good excerpt. We're going to play that excerpt here. Gary had a really good thing to say about that sort of fear of failure, being in the moment. Yeah, Yeah, in my book, I talk about a situation in... Uh, North Carolina on an Amtrak train and a, you know there was a, a, a man inside he killed his he was a drug runner he killed his sister and a little baby had uh, died of dehydration and he has a little girl in there who's fighting for her life because of uh, the health conditions in there and you know and when the Spanish-speaking negotiator who I was coaching learned that the baby had died as re- relayed to us by the perpetrator he, he almost broke down I said Ray we don't have time for this. Yeah. We can't bring her back. We're not God. We can't resurrect her. But we have a little girl in there that we have to give our all for to get her out. And he shook it off like it was, uh, you know, water on a duck's back. And he went right to work and he was brilliant. But sometimes you you have to steer people into, you know, it's the old serenity prayer to understand what you can do and what you can't do, you know. And, uh, and I think that's really important. And, you know, s- some of us may be think in that regard a little bit more clearly than others. But for most people, I think you, you can develop those skills if you if you really work on it. Gary makes a great point there at the end about being able to overcome, being able to, to gain those skills or, or, or gain the confidence that you need. You overcame your fear of flying because you educated yourself, you, you spent some time, you, you spent time working on it. And one of the biggest things I think that people face is that fear begets more fear. Yeah. The longer your irrational fear remains, the more concrete they become in your psyche. And then, again, the, the greater reduction there's going to be there in making optimal choices because of that crazy fear that now has taken over your mind. Here's a, there's a great quote from uh, Frank Herbert, book is Dune, and I won't read it, but it ends with saying, when I look, the, look at the path that fear has traveled, only I will remain. And, and I think therapists or counselors probably call this processing. I thought you were going to talk about spice. The spice is <laughs> the spice, life. The, the spice. spice. The spice. Um, but you, you, you need to process that fear. You need to under, identify it. I'm afraid of crabs, mm-hmm. right? And then process it. What is it about crabs that's scary? What is it about flying? Well, it's plummeting to my death uncontrolled and having no control over my environment, right? Being able to release your fear, right? And when we talk about that, especially in, in the business world, if it's fear of failure, being able to release that fear. I think in the business world, one of the common things that people are going to face is the fear they lack something. They lack yeah. the experience. They lack the, the certification. They lack this. Nobody's going to want them. I heard this a lot, too, when we look at um, 
look at job descriptions, right? Earlier in my career, I'd look at a job description and I'd be like, I don't have that. I can't do that. I can't juggle five balls. They'll laugh at me. Yeah, right? that's they'll right. Let, they'll send it back and say, don't ever apply here again. Right. When the reality is the people writing those, most of you don't, you sit with senior leaders and you write those things. You write it for the purple unicorn and only one of those exists in the world. And you're hoping that just a brown horse shows up. Yeah, with St. Bernard with a toilet paper tube on that's his right. head. That's <laughs> right. I'll, I'll paint it purple and I'll staple a horn to your head and put you in that chair and off we'll go. We've created a, a safe environment, yep. right? Check. We've recognized our own fears, dealt with them, you know, looked through it. So now, what's next? Well, how do we help? Um, how do we help one of our employees as a leader? How do you help one of your employees in the moment? So do it, or I'll fire you. Yeah. No. <laughs> your job's on the line, Fields. That's right. Yeah, God, I, I Dogs sound, and cats I, living together. I sounded like. Uh, Mr. Uh, Fred Flintstone's boss. It was very good. Mr. Mr. Slate. Slate. Mr. Yeah, Slate. That's right. Flintstone! <laughs> anyway, so how do you help your employee? And I was using an example of sending somebody to go present to an executive. And I can't build a good relationship between the executive and my person who's going to go present. Yeah. I, and we can do things like practice. Maybe we could do the, run through the, uh, the presentation a couple times. But I asked a, a friend of mine... Um, who is a therapist. You have more friends? I do. Well, mom still sends checks, yeah. right? Well, that's one of our listeners. Uh, who is a therapist, and I'm going to use a fake name. It's Mandy, with air quotes around it. Uh, and I asked her, I said, when a person is in the midst of their fear experience, right? They're, you know, what guidance, what tools, tricks can, can we do to help them through them that'll, you know, help reduce any negative impact during that, that experience? And, of course, being a therapist said, hey, they should become familiar with some of the cognitive behavioral therapy techniques. I skipped psychology 101, so yeah. I you know, checked that off. Well, but you went I, to Ohio State. I did. The Ohio State. You know, we, the, we Where the, I got my education in recreational science. No. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Liberal arts. It, one of the things that she said was creating, uh, damn you, creating, <laughs> creating and finding things to help you focus yeah. that aren't the problem at hand. Um, she referenced something called the five, four, three, two, one method, and it's you know find five things you can see, four things you can touch, three you can hear, two things you go, et cetera, et cetera. That exercise forces a person to concentrate on other stimulus and not on the fear itself, thus minimizing that physiological fear response. You got to get outside your head. Exactly. That's the more time you spend in your head, again, fear begots fear, and you're gonna steamroll a bunch of fa failures in your mind. So get out and do. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, one of the things that she said here is that it, it, I felt she stressed this very, very clearly. When your employees know that you have their back, uh, that by creating an environment and an attitude that supports their healthy mind, their stimulus, you actually care about them. Hey, I know you're going to be nervous. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about it. I'll give you signals, right? Take a breath, things yeah. like that. Um, you become an ally. Mm -hmm to them and actually reduce that fear rather than a source of intimidation and a fear multiplier. Yeah. Very important. Yeah. Thank you, Mandy, or whatever your name is. So we've talked about creating the safe environment. We've talked about the fear within ourselves. We've talked about, you know, where fear comes from and, and the types of fear. But now as we look at managing that within our teams, how can we ensure that our people know that we hear them, that our people know that we, um, that we are on their side. And I think Gary had a little bit to say about that. I mean, you know, this is business people. I mean, some of that you've, some client that you've interacted with for a while. I mean, those are pretty, pretty easy uh, engagements because you know each other, you know, you, you're not, 
there's no pretense. There's no introduction. You know, it, it's you and this person you've dealt with for several years and you, and you can get down to business, but there's also part of the reason you've been doing that business is because you do have a relationship with trust. Uh, you know, and this guy might say, well, you know, I, yeah, you know, my controller has been trying to get me to switch companies, but you know, I know Jim and Randy and uh, you know, they're my guys, you know, and uh, I'm comfortable working with them and that's where I'm keeping my business. Well, clearly you've made a mistake in judgment right there. <laughs> keeping your business in Randy's company. You were a dead man. Eventually, retirement skills have gone downhill. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's just, I mean, there's a couple key words, you know, that we've talked about self control. So, in other words, before you can begin to influence someone else, you have to be able to control your own emotions. And we've talked about that in a couple different ways. And then the other thing is, tending to this relationship, either building or sustaining whatever we're talking about, where you, you know, you demonstrate to somebody that I understand your problems, your concerns, your issues, your perspective, and how you feel about that. And it's, it's the most uh, common and misunderstood thing in the world. And a lot of us don't do it very well, frankly. But if you can purposely, I mean, Stephen Covey, the business guru says it pretty well. He says, first, seek to understand and, and then to be understood. And if you go through life and, and your interactions with that sort of approach in mind, I think for the most part, you're going to be far more successful. Well, Jim, after all this time together now, I know that if we ever have to do a movie, Crabs on a Plane, <laughs> we're, we're going to be, we're going to be in a lot of trouble. We're going to need help from all of you if you're traveling with us. And just please. a quick shout out, Samuel L. Jackson, if you're a listener. Yeah, boy, we would love for you to help us produce that movie. Yeah, yeah but yeah, movie choices. Let's talk. No, we'll, we'll save that for the next <laughs> for the next episode. Well, today we've talked about fear. And uh, I hope that at least in some way that it's helped you maybe recognize it, realize it, and help to deal with it. And before we uh, wrap this up, a quick special shout out to Gary Nessner. Gary! Thank, yeah, thank you, my friend. Uh, we certainly enjoyed every moment talking to you, and uh, you certainly helped make this podcast special. So our thanks. And if you guys have money, go buy his book. If you have time, go watch the Netflix series. You won't regret it. You will not be disappointed. And James, uh, in the words of Fear Factor, I think fear has not been a factor for you. <laughs> my God. Who does your writing? <laughs> well, this has been Leadership Lost and Found, and how fear works in our lives and i'm done and i'm randy and i'm jim (laughs) you you guys guys keep keep leading. leading